Okay, is this all right? Is this okay today? This is really for me. I, I, I need this because six years ago, the Chiefs lost to the Broncos, and I had to preach at a church in Denver wearing the Broncos jersey. And I've had a terrible taste in my mouth for six years. This just kind of makes things right. So this is very much for me. Uh, I'll need a lot less counseling after this, so thank you. I'd love to start off in prayer, so let's, let's pray together. Father, just as we sang, um, all of our lives, you have been incredibly faithful. You are so, so good. Father, we're asking for a miracle this morning. We're asking that you would speak to our hearts. Father, I'm very aware that in a room this size, that in multiple locations, there's going to be some people here that maybe they're here for the first time, maybe they've been here for a long time, and they're convinced they don't need a Savior. They're convinced that their life is okay. There are some here who have come here today believing that they need a Savior, but they're grabbing on to anything and everything. There are those that believe that they need a Savior, and they're looking to Jesus. Father, we're praying that this day to all three of those groups that you would help us to understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're praying, Father, that by your Holy Spirit that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to receive what you have for us this day. So be glorified in this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So fun to be here. I love this church. I love this team here. It's one of my favorite places to come. I also love the fact that when you come here, there's no pretending. You don't have to pretend that your life is perfect. You don't have to pretend you have it all together because this is a church that's very honest because if we had it all together, we wouldn't need Jesus. We are a broken people. We are a sinful people. We are a needy people and we desperately need Jesus. And I love the fact that we can come here and just openly talk about that. So it's a great blessing, just, just a huge blessing to be here. All right. Question for you at the start. Let's, let me just be very, very honest with you. I can preach this message you know, today, or we've also prepared about a half an hour of Chiefs highlights with lots of Mahomes touchdowns. So let's vote. Who wants to watch? Who wants to watch a Chiefs video? Oh, man. I'll be back in counseling tomorrow. That was very painful. All right. Stay afterwards, and you can watch that. And... Um, so you've had the chance to talk about prayer. It's, it's in some ways very, very intimidating to be here to talk with this church about prayer because you're at the end of these 21 days of talking about prayer. And not just talking about it, but doing it. Lots of you have been here, hundreds of you have been here every morning at six o'clock in the morning, which is absolutely incredible. So to come to speak with a praying church about prayer, um, it's been intimidating. You know, Christian has preached some great messages on prayer. He's talked to you about the Lord's Prayer and how that is such a great pattern for prayer. He talked to you just about the Acts model of prayer and how that's a powerful model. He talked to you last week about Hezekiah and how a praying king just takes like 30 seconds to pray this prayer to God. And as a result, God puts to death 185,000 people who were trying to work against God's purposes. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is a powerful thing that God uses in amazing ways. So let's just remind ourselves, why is prayer so unbelievably important? First of all, it's a personal recognition that you can't fix the world. Because when you pray, it just acknowledges, you know what, I've got some issues in life, and I can't make these things right, I need to pray. Prayer quiets my heart. I can't worry and pray at the same time. It just helps me to be still 
and to slow down, it just quiets my heart. It activates my faith. I become more positive just to move and act in the way that God wants me to when I pray, and it gives purpose and direction. Which roadmap am I going to follow? So we're gonna look at this powerful story today, and this story gives us one more model of prayer. It's from Nehemiah chapter one, and it's a story that I love. It's about things in Jerusalem and how Jerusalem uh, was, was just in a huge need. I love the fact that you've got 43 members of your church that are there right now. As a matter of fact, Pastor Christian texted me this morning, and actually they were there with us worshiping this morning on their phones on the Mount of Beatitudes this morning. Is technology crazy? So they're joining with us, worshiping with us, and they're in Israel on the Mount of Beatitudes. Amazing. Here's just a history lesson, just very, very quickly, okay? 586 B.C., Jerusalem is destroyed by Babylon. They come in and they wipe it out. They wipe out the temple. They wipe out the walls and the gates in the city. They destroy everything. And the Jews go into exile for 70 years. 516 B.C., the Persians wipe out the Babylonians. So now they've got all of these Jews in exile. And so they say, you know what? The best thing that we believe to do would be for actually a bunch of you, about 50,000, to go back home and let's actually rebuild Jerusalem. So there's a group that goes back and they get one thing extremely important accomplished. They actually rebuild up that whole temple. And man, when that, when that happens, there is rejoicing. There's tears. It is a powerful thing. But then they've got to get the walls rebuilt. Then they've got to get the walls and the gates and everything built back up. And they fail in that for 71 straight years. And then in about 445 BC, God calls Nehemiah to go and to get this work done. And it's such a great story because Nehemiah gets done in 52 days what they had failed to do in 71 years. So it's a great story just as far as leadership and the way that God uses him to do these amazing things. He's the cupbearer to the king. He lives in Susa, which is right on the Persian Gulf. He's in this amazing palace, but his heart is very much about Jerusalem, which is about a thousand miles away. So even though he's in the midst of comfort, he's, he's isolated, but he's not insulated. He knows about Jerusalem. And some people come from Jerusalem and he says, hey, you know what? I wanna know about the people. How are their spirits? How are they doing? How are the people? And then he says, how are things in Jerusalem? How is the actual city? He asked very important questions, but not only that, he asked the right questions in the right order. Now, I wanna take a little break in the sermon and speak just to the men. So women, tune out for just a second, just the men. Men, someday, I pray that this does not happen in your life, but someday you might have a call from your wife or like your daughter, and they might say, I was just in a car accident. Now, it's important to ask the right questions in the right order because the next words out of your mouth had better be, are you okay? Baby, are you okay? Are you sure? Are you all right? And then you count to like 10 or 20 or 30, and then you say, how's the car? Because if the first words out of your mouth are, how's the car? It will not go well for you that night or probably for a little while. So you've got to ask the right questions in the right order, right? Okay, everybody. Nehemiah, that's what he did. He was concerned about the people. He said, you know what? I want to know about the people. How are the people? And then he says, Okay, what's going on with the city? And he finds out the people are discouraged. 
I mean, they're downhearted because they've been trying to rebuild these walls for so long. And so Nehemiah is going to be used by God. But it says this, when he heard those things, it says, he heard about the people, he sat down and he wept. And it says, for some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, how long did he mourn, weep, pray, and fast? Well, in chapter one, we read it's the month of Nisan. In chapter two and verse one, we read that it's the month of Kislev. Listen, that's between four and six months. So he hears that there's a big problem. He's a man of action. He's a man who gets things done. He's gonna get the walls built in only 52 days. But for the first four to six months, he realizes this is such a huge project. I've gotta take the time at the outset to pray. See, that's so opposite of the mindset that we have. We have a really busy day. Oh man, I've got to, I, I got to pray quick today because I've got to get going on the day. Nehemiah has exactly the opposite mindset. You know what? This is such a huge project. This is so much. I need to sit down and just take time to weep and fast and pray over this city because I love Jerusalem. My heart is there. He understands that his outward effectiveness is going to be guided by the integrity of his heart, by his prayer life. He understands that what happens on the front stage is going to be dictated by what happens on the backstage where nobody can see. And so he goes to God and he spends that time weeping and praying to God in prayer. I love the fact that he's so moved by his love for that city, he weeps over Jerusalem. Jesus sits on the Mount of Olives and he weeps over Jerusalem. Is your heart so broken for Lee Summit that you weep over Lee Summit? Do you weep over Kansas City? They say, God, I just, want your, I just want your Holy Spirit to move here in such a powerful way. It just breaks my heart. Nehemiah is weeping, praying, fasting. He prays an amazing prayer. So before he gets the whole project started, he's going to pray this prayer. And I love his prayer. And we're going to look at six words that all start with C. And so it's going to kind of make this easy. But this is just a model for prayer. So we're going to look at the six C's of a praying church. Six marks of a praying church. Now, if you're between the ages of, uh, let's say, five and 16 years old, I want you to raise your hand. Okay, all right. Oh, we got a lot. I love this. Okay, listen to this. We're going to walk through these six C's. I want you to write these down. I want you to memorize these. These are extremely important. And tonight, before you go to bed, if you can say these six C's to your parents, they'll give you $5. (laughs) And if your parents are incredible cheapskates, come back and say the six C's next week to Pastor Mike, and he will give you $5. (laughs) Right, Mike? Okay. It's on video. We got it, buddy. I love it. Bring a big stack of fives next week, brother. A big one. All right. So let's look at these six C's. Number one, a praying church confirms the Lord's position, power, and promises. So we're in Nehemiah. Now, if you brought a Bible today and you're thinking, I can't find Nehemiah, start in Psalms. That's the big one. And then go backwards before Psalms is Job before Job is Esther, before Esther is Nehemiah. I've been a pastor for 35 years. I still can't find Nehemiah, so don't, don't, don't feel, feel bad about that. Okay, verse five says this. 
Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I love the fact that as he begins his prayer, he starts off in worship. He begins by worshiping. He doesn't start off and say, all right, God, we got to fix Jerusalem. Let's get this going. Help me fix Jerusalem. Yeah, that's going to come. But he understands that I want to start off in worship. I want to start and just confirm and just affirm who you are. And so he prays this amazing prayer. He says, you're great. That's God's position. He says, you're awesome. That's God's power. He says, you keep your covenant of love. That's God's promises. And I love the fact when he says you keep your covenant of love, the word love there is a powerful word in the Hebrew. It's the word hesed, which means deep covenant pursuing love. That God pursues us, that God is for us, that God is just so much for us that it's, it's just a consuming love and a faithful love that he has for us. So he begins with worship. He just worships the Lord and just says, God, this is who you are. What a beautiful way to start your prayer by just saying, God, you're awesome, you're incredible, you keep your promises, you're majestic, you have redeemed, you're the great redeemer, just to begin prayer in that way. Powerful. Number two, we gotta go quick because we've got six things. Number two, a praying church confesses individual and corporate sins before the Lord. Now, hear the words in this, I and we. In verse six, he says this, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, we have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave to your servant Moses. Powerful. We live in a society of blamers. We do. We love to blame somebody else. Things don't go well. We know what? It was the guy that used to own the business. It was his fault. The coach before me, it, 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 it's, it's his fault. The president before me, it's his fault. The teacher before me, it was all her fault. The Congress before us, it was their fault. I mean, we live in a culture of blamers. Nehemiah does a powerful thing, a powerful thing here in this prayer. First of all, he, he confesses sin. And we're told we should confess our sin. 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sin. It's the right thing to do. But the one thing that I think that we fail to do so often is to corporately confess our sin. We need to corporately confess. Do you ever confess the sins of, of your family? Do you confess the sins of this church? Do you confess the sins of this city ever? Lord, I, can, Lord, I just confess the fact that we have not obeyed you in Kansas City. God, Kansas City has not bowed its knee to you as we should. God, be gracious to Kansas City. Do you ever pray corporately and confess the sins of the city? Nehemiah is confessing sins that brought the wall down. He's saying, Lord, you know what? We did all of these things wrong and that brought the wall down. The sins that he's confessing took place 141 years before the time in which he's confessing this sin. He wasn't even born yet. He wasn't even around, so you might be saying, wait a second, he, he, there's no reason. No, he understands something. He understands that these sins were committed by Jews. He's a Jew, so he owns it. He corporately owns it, which means maybe you just moved to Kansas City yesterday. You know what, according to scripture, you're a part of this corporate community, which means you own the whole history of Kansas City. 
we've lost the sense of the fact that there is a corporate nature to sin. God talks about it in Psalm 79. There's a prayer, do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us, forgive us our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? I, I love Kansas City. But there are things that we need to confess about Kansas City. Kansas City has a huge history of racism. I mean, there's been redlining in Kansas City, largely led by J.C. Nichols, but it goes much, much deeper. We've got the truce line in Kansas City. This week in Kansas City, there was a pastor that passed away named Pastor Wallace Hartsfeld. And Pastor Hartsfeld, amazing man. He's 90 years old, uh, just a long-time pastor in Kansas City, strong African-American, and he just passed away this week. It was a huge loss, actually, for Kansas City. I first met him in 2003, and I said, gosh, Pastor Hartsfeld, I just want to get to know your story. And he said, you don't want to get to know my story. You don't really want to enter into my world. And I was like, Dr. Hartsfeld, I do. I I want to hear your story. And he was like, no, you don't. It took time to get to know him before he would finally share his story with me. And when he finally began to share his story, it broke my heart. He had stories that he shared with me, which I had never even thought about. He said, you know what? My wife has had the hardest time because she didn't know how to sew. And so it was almost impossible for her to buy clothes. Because in the 1950s and 1960s, if you were a black woman, you could not try on clothes in any store in Kansas City because they didn't want to put clothes back on the rack that had been worn by a black woman. You couldn't try on clothes. You had to buy it off the rack and walk out and just hope it fit. And if you went home and it didn't fit, you could not bring it back because white women did not want to wear clothes that had been worn by black women. So he's sharing this with me with tears in his eyes. Heartbreaking. So he said, my my wife just tried so hard to find one thing that fit. And when she found one thing, she would just wear it out because it was too expensive to possibly buy something that wouldn't fit. He shared about the fact that there was a black man that was drugged behind a pickup truck and a black man was killed and that truck was driven by people who were elders at a church in Kansas City. And everybody in town knew exactly which church and those men went unpunished. I mean, he had heartbreaking stories of racism. Do you understand that we own those because we're here? Now, I understand there might be some here saying, whoa, 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 I wasn't alive then. I didn't live here then. That's not my problem. That's not my situation. That's not how Nehemiah felt. He wasn't alive when these things happened. He wasn't around, but he understands, I'm a Jew. I own these corporate sins. And that's absolutely not the way that Jesus felt. You see, Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Jesus Christ had nothing to do with your sin but he had everything to do with paying the consequences for your sin. Jesus wasn't around when when all of your sins happened, yet he took the pain of your sin, the consequences of the sin upon himself upon the cross. It's an amazing picture. We need to corporately own sin. We need to corporately confess sin. Nehemiah, I mean, he, he just makes that so clear in this passage. Third, a praying church claims the promises of God. Verse eight, 
Remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst all the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. I love the fact that Nehemiah knows scripture. And he looks back on some promises that God made to Moses. And he said, hey, you know what, God? You, you promised this, so I'm going to claim this promise. You know that if you make a promise to your kids, man, you got to fulfill it. I mean, those words, hey, you know what? We're going to do this. I promise. Hey, kids, you know what? I want to take you to the Super Bowl next Sunday. I promise. Oh, good luck with that. You better start mortgaging your house now. But anyway, if you say those words, I promise, you know that your kids are going to go, Mom and Dad, you promised, right? You promised. You've got to do it. If we being imperfect parents know the power of a promise, how much more so does our perfect heavenly father understand the power of a promise? You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to claim his promises. God wants us to look in his word and say, God, you know what? Here's a promise that you made. I want to claim this promise. You promise. That's what Nehemiah is doing. You know how many promises from God there are in in his word? How many times does God promise us that he will do something for his children. 7,464. 7,464 promises in God's word. And some of you are trying to think of one right now. It's, it's hard, isn't it? We need to claim promises. Matthew eleven twenty eight is an amazing promise. Come to me if you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. That's a promise from God. John 16, 24, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Claim that promise. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It's a promise from God. Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Does God need to be reminded of his promises? No. Does he forget his promises? No. Then why claim them? Because it helps us to remember the things that he has promised us. It's a great Bible study to go through the Psalms or through the Scriptures or through the Gospels and just find the promises of God and put maybe put like a little P in your Bible or something, but just say, God, you know what? Here's a promise. I want to claim this promise. God, I'm exhausted today. I'm overwhelmed. I'm weary. Lord, you promised me right here that if I come to you, you're going to give me rest in my spirit and my soul. I'm claiming that promise today. We need to claim God's promises. Fourth, Praying church is compelled to pray kingdom prayers. Gosh, I love this in verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. It's all about the Lord. God redeems us. It's his power. It's his strength. It's his kingdom. And we're praying kingdom prayers. We're praying kingdom prayers that might not just bless this church, but they're going to bless this city. God, whatever it takes, fill churches throughout Kansas City. God, move in the power of the Holy Spirit in this city. We're praying kingdom prayers. How do we pray, though, kingdom prayers? That's always a question I'm asked. First of all, we pray with some sense of restlessness. We're restless because we want the world to be as God intended it to be. We want our name of our Lord, just to be lifted high. Sometimes our lives are so manicured and so manufactured, we need some disruption. So maybe at times we need to pray for some restlessness in Kansas City so that we could just see Jesus all the more clearly. 
We need to pray with expectation. Do you pray really expecting God to answer your prayers? Do you pray, Lord, I pray this very specifically, and I pray that very specifically that this, I, I would see this today. Back, back in 1988, I was praying with my wife, and God really spoke to us in a very clear way. Uh, we had a car that we liked, and we drove, but it was one of those cars that you felt really safe around the city, but you thought, man, if I have to drive this any distance, it's like, I think I feel comfortable going to maybe Topeka. I don't know if I feel comfortable going to Wichita. It's like, you know, when your car's at that point. So we had a car that we just thought, you know, it's just, it's a point where we need to trade this car in and to get a new used car. And so we're just about to trade the car in. And God spoke to my wife and I in an incredibly clear way and said, I don't want you to ever sell a car again. Whenever you get to that point, I want you to give the car away because there's people who need cars. I mean, it's just crystal clear. So we have a lot of fun stories all throughout our life of times that we've just prayed and said, God, show us who this car is for. And I could share story after story. Here's one. We had a car, we loved this car, it was a great car, but just not dependable enough to go long distance. So we said, we just had this one day and we prayed, Lord, today, not tomorrow, not the day after, today, make it so clear who we should give this car to. And it was fun that day because I began that day with just this expectation, just this spirit of, Man, this is a fun day because God's gonna show me exactly who he wants me to give a car to. I just knew it. Just God, you know what? I'm not very smart, so make it abundantly clear, abundantly clear. So I, so I stop off, you know what? I'm in the, I'm like, you know, just a day at the office and, and I'm like, I speak with my assistant at Pastor Serve and she says, how are you? I said, great, because I'm gonna give away a car today. She said, oh, my son needs a car. My son really needs a car. And I said, well, you know what? At the end of the day, if that's like the most clear, you know what? I mean, like it's his because today's the day. So I just went throughout my day. And then, then it was actually afternoon and I was up in KCK and, and it's just like I stopped off at a place called the Gracious Promise Foundation, which is a ministry that works with kids and their moms and, their, and actually also dads are in jail. And it's just this place where kids... Uh, are just in a tough, tough, you know, very, very tough spot. So I spoke with their director. We, we just had a great time. And then she said, I want you to meet, meet my staff because I just have this great staff. So I just went from office to office and I met their staff. And then we walked into this office and she said, this is Doreen. And I mean, Doreen is this amazing woman, African-American, about 50 years old. And she said, she loves these kids with just a passionate love. As a matter of fact, the thing that these kids need is to just have somebody cheering for them in life. It makes such a difference. And you know what? Doreen goes to almost every sporting event. She's at basketball games and she's at volleyball games and every football game. And she goes to dance recitals and school concerts. She goes everywhere and just cheers these kids on. And the kids just love her because they know Doreen is there cheering for me. She said the amazing thing about Doreen is, she takes the bus everywhere she goes. And then this woman, Doreen, spoke for the first time, and she said, but my husband and I are praying that someone would give me a car. And then she said these exact words. You don't know anybody that wants to give away a car, do you? That's the only time anybody's actually spoken those words in my life. And it was on the day that we said, today's the day. And I mean, my, I mean, my eyes just filled with tears. 
And I said, let's walk out in the parking lot. And she didn't understand why, so we walked out there. And I said, you see that car right there? And she goes, oh, it's a beautiful car. And I said, it, it, you, it's yours. Then, then my name changed. For, from, <laughs> it, because it wasn't actually Jim anymore. It was, oh, man of God. Oh, man of God. Don't fool with me, man of God. Oh, man of God. And I mean, the whole staff comes out of gracious promise. They're all sobbing because they've been praying for this. They've been praying that someone would give her a car. And God, it was incredible. Do you pray with expectation like that? Do you pray, God, today, I pray that this very specific thing would happen. And then you're going throughout your day in expectation. God wants us to be a people that pray with expectation. We need to pray with meekness. Prayer, is that, it's, it's just that recognition we can't fix the world. As long as you think that you can fix it, you're not going to ask God to fix it. So we pray in the spirit of meekness and humility. And we're saying, Lord, you alone are king, redeemer, savior, and Lord. We're just praying for that. We're praying in hope. We're praying in a spirit of hope because we understand only Jesus can fix it. And the fact that Jesus is here, it gives us hope. Now, there are so many stories that I could share with you about answered prayer that are just unbelievable. They're just crazy amazing. There's lots of stories about pastor serve of just praying for needs and then God meets that need. By the way, this church has met the needs of pastor serve many times. This is a kingdom-minded church and you guys are so generous. It's been amazing. I could share stories. I know the next week that you'll hear stories actually from Pastor Christian just about the new campaign and the way that God has met your need. I mean, God is doing such incredible things. But I want to share with you a story that seems very unimportant. But I believe it just shows very, very clearly God is interested in everything. He tells us in Philippians 4, 6, pray, pray about everything. You think, Okay, I mean, that means the, the, the important stuff, right? No. Pray about everything. So in 1990, I was a youth pastor, and I was in South Carolina. We had a youth mission trip up in Boston, and we took a bunch of kids up, and we had this amazing trip planned to go up and serve and to do these fun things. And then we had a fun day in Boston planned where we were just going to have fun. We were going to work really hard for 10 days and then a day to just have some fun. So we talked about our fun day. What do you guys want, want to do on the fun day? And everybody said the exact same thing. We want to go to a Boston Red Sox game. We want to go watch the Red Sox play. That would be so cool to go to Fenway and the history and the Green Monster. It would just be incredible. So I thought, oh, that's, that's a great day off. That's really, really fun. So it was, a, it was about three months prior. I called Boston and I'm like, okay, I need 14 tickets for this game on this date. And they said that game is sold out. I said, you've, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, please. I mean, I've got to have 14 tickets. I've got this group and this is all they want to do. And they said, I'm sorry, it's sold out. So I said, okay, is there ever a chance that like a group might cancel? They're like, well, of course. And I said, okay, I want to call back every day and see, see if it, and I, you know what? I called them back every day. This is Jimmy Dodd from South Carolina. I'm the guy with the youth mission trip. I need 14 tickets. We don't have any tickets, Mr. Dodd. And after about 10 you, you straight days, I think that they would just actually answer the phone. Jimmy, stop calling us. We don't have any more tickets. Goodbye. And I mean, I was just, and the worst thing was telling these kids because it's all they wanted to do, especially a kid named Andy who wore a Boston Red Sox hat 
everywhere. The Red Sox were his team. And he was, I mean, he was really pumped up to serve on this team, but he was so excited about the baseball game. And when I told these kids that I did not get tickets, they were so downhearted. I just felt terrible. I felt like, man, I've just really let you guys down. So we, we go up, we have this great trip, and we have our free day. And so we're going to do some stuff like the Freedom Trail stuff that's kind of fun, but it wasn't the Red Sox game. So the kids are like, oh, man, we have to walk the Freedom Trail and learn about U.S. history. We kind of wanted to go to a sporting event. But I said, you know what? The game's about to start. How about if we just kind of just you drive by the stadium so we can just kind of get a sense of you can just kind of drink in it, you know, from the van as we drive by. So we pull up and we drive up, you know, the, you know. And so we, we park actually there because we're right there in the, you know, these massive crowds. And I said, you know what? Let's just go around the van and let's just pray. Let's just pray that somehow through a miracle, God would just allow us to go. Because I know you guys have been so excited about this. And so, I mean, like, you know, we had some money, so I thought, okay, we could probably scalp tickets. We could probably pay, like, you know, 15 bucks a ticket, and we can all go, but we'll probably be, like, you know, some here and some there. But I thought, gosh, just, just to go would be great. So we prayed around the van, especially Andy. I mean, his prayer was, God, I've wanted to come here my whole life. God, this is all I've ever wanted. Marriage is not important to me. Kids are, Boston Red Sox are important to me. I mean, so we, we, we prayed, and I said, Okay, you know what, everybody stay here, except Andy, come, come with me, and let's just walk around and just see. Let's see if there's some way, maybe some scalpers. You know, I mean, like if you're trying to scalp, you're like, I need one or I need two. I was walking around, 14, need 14, need 14. There's this one guy, hey, man, I've got three, how much? Well, they're like, you know, 60 bucks each. It's like, oh, and I mean, poor Andy, he was just so discouraged. So I continued to walk around the stadium and then somebody comes up from behind me and grabs me very firmly, hard. And I'm kind of in shock and I turn around and it's a police officer. And he said, you're scalping, you're trying to buy scalp tickets, I could arrest you right now. Scalping is illegal right here in Boston, you can't do it. So then I use my whiny voice. I'm so sorry, I'm on a mission trip here and we're from South Carolina and I came up here with these kids and they just wanted to go to the game. We're just trying to buy some tickets, I'm so sorry. And the police officer said, you know I could arrest you. I said, you just said that, that's the second time you've said that, I I know that. (laughs) He said, however, you seem like a nice kid and uh, I believe your story. I just arrested a scalper. He's gone. And before I arrested him, I confiscated his tickets. You can have them. Reaches into his coat pocket and hands me a stack of tickets. Fourteen. Fourteen tickets. Gave them to us. Tenth row, all together, best seats in the house. Andy did not walk back to the van. He flew back to the van. He was like, God has answered our prayer. You can't believe what just happened. That day changed Andy's life. You know what? I still talk to Andy. That was a life-changing day for him because that's the day that he understood, you know what? God is interested in our lives in a big way. God's interested in baseball tickets. God's interested in everything that involves you. It was a beautiful just reminder of, you know what? 
We need to bring everything to God in prayer and pray in a spirit of hope. We need to pray with confidence. How do we pray with confidence? We're told in Romans 8 and starting off in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That is so powerful. There are times in which you want to pray and it's so painful and so hard, you don't even know what to pray for. You're kind of like, God, this situation in my family, this situation in my marriage, this situation with my kids, I don't even know what to say. And you're just, you're speechless. You're just groaning. It's just so painful. It's like you call 911 and they say, what's your location? And you're just, you're in shock or you can't even speak. And before you even get a word out, they can see your address and help is on the way. That's how it is with the Holy Spirit. He hears our hearts. And before we can even get it out, the Holy Spirit knows our hearts and is interpreting to God the Father what we should be actually praying for. And he's saying that this is what it is. So that's how we can pray with great confidence because God hears us, even though we might not have the words. Five, a praying church commits to being a part of the solution. It says this in verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and do the prayer of all of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah is going to go and ask the most powerful man in the world for a big favor. He's not an armchair leader. He's not going to say, well, I'm in this amazing palace in this amazing situation. I have lots of authority. I'm pretty comfortable, so I want to stay here. No, he, his life is completely disrupted because he will go to Jerusalem. He will get the walls and the gates rebuilt in only 52 days. And he says, Lord, I don't just want to pray about this solution. I want to be a part of it. And when God calls him, he's willing and he says, go. So as we pray about the city, are you also praying, God, I don't know how you're going to use me. I don't know where you're going to call me, but let my heart be ready and willing to go wherever you would say to go. And then six and finally, a praying church celebrates Jesus as their great hope. Now, here's the big caution. This whole series, we've talked about prayer. You've got some great models. The answer is not, hey, I just need to pray better. I just need to try harder. You know what? I want to walk out of here, and by golly, I want to make my prayer life better, and I want to do a lot more of these things, and I want to pray the Lord's Prayer, and I want to pray through the Acts model, and I want to pray through these six C's. I'm just going to do better. That puts it all upon you. That's the last thing in the world you need. You see, there's some real joy in saying, you know, this is not a liberal church. This is a church that believes in the word of God. However, if you think it's all about you and up to you, being liberal and then just all of our activism is the just two sides of the same coin because ultimately it's all about you. It's ultimately up to you to do what you can do to please God. The way that we need to start is by just submitting to, to the Lord Jesus Christ submitting to him and saying, Father, we can't fix this. We can't do this. The first step in this whole thing has just got to be you. It's got to be turning our lives and ourselves over to you. You see, the joy of this whole thing is that we are called by God to understand that we're in the midst of a war. Prayer is not like this intercom system from office to office. It's like walkie-talkies on the front line. 
We're crying out to headquarters what we need, and God knows our hearts. So how do we pray? We confirm who he is. We confess our sins, both our sins and corporate sins. We claim the promises of God. We're compelled to pray kingdom prayers. We commit to being a part of the real solution, and then we celebrate We celebrate Jesus as our great hope. Prayer can be hard. It can be difficult. It can be confusing. But take action and pray. Lastly, um, I was on my way to Haiti to work with just a bunch of pastors there. And on the way there, we stopped off in Miami. And we met with a group there that was very kind to us. And we went out to this unbelievable restaurant in Miami. It was just right there on the water and you're in this just high-dollar restaurant having this meal, and I'm thinking, gosh, this is crazy nice. Kind of a stuffy restaurant. And, you know, you go to those restaurants, and you start to feel like a bit snooty because, man, I'm in a really nice place. The next day, we're in Haiti, and we go to this orphanage, and for some reason, there were like a bunch of mamas that are, are like actually in charge of this orphanage, and for some reason, they had left, and these kids were alone without supervision, without food. We went to this grocery store and we bought these kids everything that would last for a long time. And I'll never forget when we walked into that orphanage with bags of groceries, the screaming and yelling and hooping and hollering, just how excited they were. And I just remember thinking, God, far too often when I think about your grace, I'm like a stuffy man in a stuffy restaurant as opposed to the wide-eyed kid who spies ice cream in the bag for the first time. And I said, God, don't let me forget. I was an abandoned orphan, and you brought me into your family. I was an outsider. You brought me into your family and sat me down at the banquet table of your grace. Let me never forget that. Don't ever forget that. You were an outsider and God adopted you and brought you to the banquet table, a feast of his amazing grace. So I pray that we would be like wide-eyed children as opposed to stuffy people in a stuffy restaurant. God's grace is incredible. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Father, we thank you for what he has done for us, the fact that He took the consequences of our sin upon himself. And because of that, we have hope and we have life itself. Father, thank you for this praying church. I pray, Lord, that you would drive them deeper to be more and more every day a praying people dependent upon you. Father, we thank you for the answers to prayer that we see all throughout this church. There are changed lives all over this room. Father, continue to do that. Continue to bring change. And Father, for the person here today that believes that there can't be change because things are way too deep and way too hard and way too difficult, open their eyes to see that the answer that they're looking for is Jesus and that he indeed is the hope of the world and the hope of our own personal situation. We give you the glory, praise, and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.